0: to be invited to receive Christ. And let me tell you something. I believe we're going to have a big harvest. I do. And I want to encourage you. It's not too late for you to be a Matthew. As a matter of fact, they're training Matthews right now. I hate to lose you. If you want to go back there and get trained to be a Matthew, run, don't walk. Because they're doing it right now. And we're going to open up our homes and we're going to believe God to touch the lives of the lost. Listen, A church that's not having babies, and I mean spiritual babies, has got something wrong with it. Amen? This is a watering hole for the saints and a hospital for sinners. We want down and outers, up and outers. We want people hooked, addicted, troubled, possessed, depressed, suicidal, street people, corporate people. We want them all black, white, yellow, red. We want them all. We do. And so I uh, encourage you to pray for that. Get it prayed up because that's going to be a great week. And be thinking of who you can invite, okay? Because you may see God bring the breakthrough you have been praying for for years. Okay? All right. How many of you are ready to learn that word now? You, you got to be because you're here tonight braved your way through traffic and all of that to get here, and some of you came from an hour away, so, and further than that, believe it or not, so God bless them. Let's pray together, and we're going to start connecting the dots tonight. Father, we thank you for the Word of God that you have given to us, the most precious gift. Next to our very salvation, you gave us your Word. And Lord, we treasure that word. It is to us, honey, gold, silver, diamonds. And we pray that tonight, you will help us to connect the dots of the Old Testament and understand the entire warp and woof and the theme of it so that we will not be a church biblically illiterate. We will know our Bible. And thereby, we will be able to answer a skeptical world of why we believe what we do. Now, can you just look up and say, Lord, teach me tonight to not open up my heart to you. And I thank you for making it plain to me. Your very word, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Now, I am working with a new clicker, so you're going to have to let me, there we go. Okay, it worked, but it was slow, so everybody just say amen. Amen. Now, will it go back, Tyler? Okay, there it is. Well, I hope, okay, there we go. This is the first time I've clicked the new clicker, because our old clicker broke. Clickers break, okay? So there we go. All right, now... We're going to start out tonight real foundational. As a matter of fact, what this is going to be, it's going to be like a, I hate to sound seminary-like, but it's going to be like a survey of the Old Testament. And uh, it's going to be like a seminary course. I just can't give you credit for it, but God will give you credit for it. Okay? So we're going to start out real foundational. Some of you are going to uh, know already some of the things I'm going to say but it never hurts to hear it again. I study the same old truths over and over again, and they never get old in the sense that it's God's Word. So start real foundational. By the time we're done, you are going to understand the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. Okay? You're going to understand it. And, and how we got it, and what it's all about, and you're going to be way ahead of most Christians, I'm sorry to say. Okay? So here is our key verse, And I want you to read this out loud with me, would you? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, there it goes. The Bible is written is the written word of the one true God. The word Bible means the books. And the Bible is one volume, which consists of 66 separate books. But it's one volume. Okay? Now, the word Scripture is also used to refer to God's Word. And this word comes from a Latin word, which means writing. And when the word Scripture is used with a capital S, it means the sacred writings of the one true God. Can you hold up your Bible for a minute? I want you to say with me, this is the sacred writing of the one true God. It's breathed out of God. That's right. Came out of the nostrils of God. God breathed. That's what the word inspiration means. Boy, Tyler, I got to tell you, this thing is really lagging on me. So help me here. All right. Now, the word Bible is not used in the Bible. Did you know that? It is a word selected by men as a title for all of God's words. Now let's look at the origin of the Bible just for a minute. We've already seen the Bible is the written Word of God. He inspired the words in the Bible and used approximately 40 different men to write down His words. Can you believe that? And most of them didn't know each other, but they all were involved in God moving upon them and writing down the Scriptures. Now I want you to notice how we got the Bible. Was it the good idea of men? No, it was a God idea. Let's read together 2 Peter one twenty one, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. Okay, you get that? The Bible did not come from the will of man. No man sat down and said, all right, I'm going to write what I'm going to call the Word of God. It's going to be my good idea. No, it didn't come by the will of men, But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean automatic writing. That doesn't mean they fell into a trance and just began to, you know, write. What it means is the Holy Spirit moved on them, carried them along the way a breeze carries a sailboat across a lake. Blew them along, carried them along, bore them along, and they wrote down the words of the Bible that you've got in your hand. Now some of the writers wrote down exactly what God said. Look what Jeremiah wrote. Here's what God told him. Take thee a roll of a book, that means a scroll, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel. Now there we have God telling Jeremiah, write down what I'm telling you. And so what we have in the book of Jeremiah is what God told him to write down by his own testimony. Okay? Other writers writers wrote what they experienced or what God revealed concerning the future. Look what it says in Revelations. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which, what everybody, shall be hereafter. All the writers wrote under God's inspiration the words of his message for us. Now, let me look at the purpose of the Bible for a minute. The Bible itself records its main purpose, and here it is. We already read it, but let's do it again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now let me now the scriptures are going to be used to teach doctrine and one of the things I'm teaching tonight is doctrine, the doctrine of this is the very inerrant word of God and to reprove and correct from evil. Now I really do believe that that reason or that purpose right there is why a lot of people don't go to churches that preach the word. Because if you go to a church where the word is preached, then it is going to bring some conviction. Okay, And we need to be convicted, don't we? I mean, every day when I read the Bible, something in it somewhere, at least often, gives me a little stick. Okay, I haven't done that, or I haven't been there, or I thought that, or did that, or said that, and it convicts me. That's the Word of God, and that's the power of the Word of God. And can I go on and say, that's why our nation is slipping into the abyss, because we have cast the Word of God out. And when we cast it out, our conscience and our hearts have gone dull. So we no longer know what's right and wrong, good and bad, light and dark. All right? And then it says, not only to correct from evil, but to teach righteousness. They will help you live right and equip you to work for God. Now, that's the purpose of the Word of God. Now, the Bible is put into major divisions, and I want you to know these divisions, okay? Okay? The Bible is divided into two major sections called the Old Testament and the New Testament. We could call it the Old Covenant and the New Covenant because they were both covenants. And just because the Old Testament is called old doesn't mean it's irrelevant or meaningless or outdated. The Word of God is good today. Listen, I've been in the Word of God in my devotional time in the Old Testament for a couple of months now. I've been in the Old Testament, and it feeds my soul every single morning. Amen? So the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the word testament means covenant. And a covenant is an agreement. Now, the Old Testament records God's original covenant or agreement with man. The New Testament records the new covenant made by God through who? His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I haven't come to destroy the law, the Old Covenant, but to fulfill the Old Covenant. And Jesus quoted the Old Testament over and over and over again. And not only that, but he preached that Noah and that Sodom and the destruction of Sodom and the reality of Noah and the reality of the great flood and many of the things that skeptics deny in our day, Jesus validated their genuineness by teaching on them. There really was a great flood. There really was a big boat with two of every living thing in it. Amen. Now, okay, what was the... I'm sorry, it's jumping around on me, Tyler. We have a problem tonight. Uh, there we go. I'm sorry, everybody. Everybody say, praise God. praise God. Okay. Now, what was the subject of these two agreements? They both concerned concern restoring sin, sinful man, to right relationship with God. And God made a law that sin can only be forgiven through the shedding of blood. Now, the Old Testament validated that and set that truth in motion all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You remember, God had to kill an animal to cover Adam and Eve and taught them way back in the Garden of Eden that the only way sin is forgiven is by the shedding of blood. It is not forgiven by good intentions. It is not forgiven in any other way. You cannot wash sin away but by the shedding of blood all right that's what the old testament taught us in hebrews 9:22 without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin now under god's agreement in the old testament blood sacrifices of animals were made by man to obtain forgiveness for sin this was a symbol of the blood sacrifice jesus christ would provide under the new agreement with god through the birth the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, a final sacrifice for sin was made, and it never needs to be made again. Amen? Amen. one One of the greatest phrases in the book of Hebrews is, once for all. It never needs to be done again, and nothing can be added to it. Look what it says. Kind of a long quote, but look at what Hebrews says. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for who? For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Isn't that great stuff? Now, for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption, the transgression that were under the first, the transgressions that were under the 1st Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. How many of you know tonight you have received the promise of eternal life? And it happened through Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament pointed to this. Both testaments are the Word of God. And we must study both in order to understand God's message. You can't understand the New Testament fully unless you understand the Old. Now, the terms old and new Testaments are used to distinguish between God's agreement with man before and after the death of Jesus Christ. The death of Christ, for me, and I believe the scriptures show this, is the defining moment in the history of mankind. No wonder it's BCAD. And I don't go with BCE, never will. I don't go with before the common era, and if you read much, You know that now they're saying, instead of saying B.C. before Christ, we need to say B.C.E. before the common era. And that's their slick way of getting Jesus out of history. But I won't take Jesus out of history. For me, it's B.C., and it always will be, before Christ. Now, so we don't disregard the Old Testament just because it's called old. Now, let me show you some further divisions. The Bible is further divided into how many books— Sixty-six. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament contains 27 books. Each book is divided into chapters and verses. But guess what? Those 66 books make one volume. Can I give you a little bit of news tonight? You have a personal library. It's in your hand. Hold up your Bible again. See, you've got a library of 66 books right there. All of them different. 40 different authors from God to you. It's almost like God said, you've got mail. Okay? And it's straight from heaven. It's a special telegram. It's God's love letter to you and me. It tells us all about God, the things we need to know about him. Now, it goes on just get it to move. There we go. Although the content of each book is the Word of God, the division into chapters and verses was made by man. So please understand that. Chapters and verses, God didn't give us. We did that. We did it so we can locate specific passages like John 3.16. If we hadn't given it chapters and verses, we'd be looking forever just for John 3.16. Now, it'd be very difficult to find a passage if the books were all one long paragraph. Now, let's talk about the unity of the Bible. And this is one of the great uh, confirmations that it's the Word of God. When we speak of the unity of the Bible, we mean two things. First, the Bible is united in content. Everybody say content. Remember, 40 different men through 1,500 years wrote the Bible, but it's unified. They don't contradict each other. How could that happen? Holy men of old were moved on by the Holy Spirit. That's how it happened. Because one God wrote one book through 40 different men over 1,500 years. Even though the Bible was written by 39 authors, now rounding it off, 40, over 1,500 years, there's no contradictions. There's just not any. One author does not contradict any of the others. The Bible includes discussion of hundreds of controversial subjects. And a controversial subject is one that creates different opinions when you bring it up. Like today, I can bring up a bunch of them. Gay marriage, how's that? May not be very controversial here, but oh, go on Twitter about it. Or go to some churches that don't cleave to the Word of God. And it's very controversial. Now, The writers of the Bible spoke on such subjects with harmony from the first book of Genesis through the last book of Revelation. That's a miracle. Stop and think about that. Forty different people, but they don't contradict. Now, this was possible because there really was only one author. Who was it? God. Now, if you get anything out of this series, I want you to come to the place that I came to when I was around oh, I don't know, 22 years old, I was reading my Bible one night. And I remember it was midnight. It was like I had a midnight epiphany. Because I'm sitting there reading the Bible, and all of a sudden it washed over me. I mean, just this knowing that I was reading the Word of God. It's not a book that has some of the words of God in it, and the rest of it is the thoughts of men. All Scripture is breathed out of God. you know what all means? All. So in the original manuscripts, it was all God's Word. He's the author, really is. Now, the writers only recorded the message under his direction and inspiration. For this reason, the content of the Bible is absolutely united. Second, the Bible is united in theme. Some people think the Bible is a collection of 66 separate books on different subjects. They don't realize the Bible is united by a major theme. From beginning to end, the Bible reveals God's special purpose, which is summarized in the book of Ephesians. Let's read it. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure... Which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works some things after his will. Oh, I'm sorry, I misread it. I'm glad y'all were looking. Because what does he work after his own will? All things. So history really is his story. Okay? And even though it looks like sometimes the devil really is in control and the world's gone nuts, believe me, the invisible footprints of God are walking out the divine providence and sovereign will of God And no devil in hell and no flesh on earth will ever stop him. And at the end of time, Christ will stand there and all things will be wrapped up into him. That's what he just said. The Bible reveals the mystery of God's plan, which is the unifying theme of the Bible. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinful mankind. Now, Jesus explained how the Old Testament centered on him. Remember those two guys walking down the road to Emmaus? And they're all downtrodden and beat up and disillusioned and blown away by seeing Jesus crucified on the cross. Remember that? And a stranger walked up to them. Remember that? And they didn't know who he was. And he began to talk to them. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning who? You know what Jesus is telling them right there? The whole Old Testament is about Him. I'm going to say that again. The entire Old Testament, in types and shadows and figures, are all pointing to the day Jesus hung on that cross. He said, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms were all about me. Now, with this introduction, Jesus continued, and it says, he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. That's what my prayer is for us here tonight. That he'll open our understanding that we might grasp the Scriptures and see that he really is what the Old Testament looks forward to and the New Testament looks back on. The Old Testament anticipated the cross. The Gospels tell the story of the cross, and the epistles point back to the cross. But the whole Bible is all about J E S U S. That's the whole Bible in a nutshell. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Now, what was the key Jesus uh, the key that Jesus gave them to understand the scriptures? the fact that its major theme focused on him. He said, that's the key to understanding the Scriptures. He said, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, he tells these guys, and to rise from the dead the third day. He said, this wasn't a mistake. This was the will of God all along. It's what all the sacrifices pointed to, the slaying of the lambs, the the sacrifices on the altar, the temple, everything that God taught, all the feasts. They all pointed to Jesus suffering, dying, and rising from the dead. and that repentance and remissions of sh- sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. and you are witnesses of these things. I hear these two guys and, and the light is starting to go off in their head. you know they're headed to Emmaus to crash and burn and Jesus apprehended them on the way and said, Let me bring you back to what you should have remembered I already told you about. It's all about me. I was supposed to die, and here I am, and I'm risen from the dead, and you don't even know who I am. The Old and New Testaments both tell the story of Jesus. The Old Testament prepares us for its happening, and the New Testament tells us how it happened. This unites the Bible in one major theme. Amen. Now, the people who look forward to Jesus under the Old Testament were saved from their sins through faith in God's promise. Do you know that? If they believed in God's promise, they were saved from their sins. God redeemed them from just believing in the promise. Everyone who looks back to it as having been fulfilled in Jesus Christ is saved in the same way. Now, how many of you have, have looked back and said, I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he covered my sins, and I believe he rose again from the dead. How many of you? And when you did that, you were changed. Amen? You were given a brand new heart, and behold, the old is passed away, and all is become new. Amen? Now, let me talk to you about the diversity of the Bible for a minute. When we speak of the diversity of the Bible, we mean the Bible has variety. It records different ways in which God dealt with people and the different ways in which they responded to him. Here we go. The Bible is written in different moods. Some portions express joy, others sorrow. And the Bible includes different types of writing. It contains, everybody say with me, history, poetry, prophecy, letters, adventure, parables, miracles, and love stories. It's still the all-time number one bestseller in the history of the world. I read just last week that the Bible is, is breaking all records in its sales across the world. It's the number one be- Why is it the number one bestseller? Because God wrote it. And what do you see up there that any good book does not have? The Bible has it all. And because of its variety, the Bible has been further divided into major groups of books, and we need to understand these. Old Testament divisions. The book of the Old Testament are divided into four major groups. I want you to say them with me. Law, history, poetry, and prophecy. Now, let's look first at the books of the law. You know what they are, but we're going to say them together. We call this the Pentateuch. Let's say them Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible are the first five books of law. Now, these books record the creation of man and of the world by God and the early history of man. I was listening to a radio preacher on the way here. Um, life talk. Going down the highway. And he was talking about the book of Genesis and creation. And I was amening him. And then I realized it was me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it was good teaching. I liked that. I said, I'll own that. God made the world. I mean, God made the world. Amen? Uh, They tell how God raised up the nation of Israel as a people through which he could reveal himself to the nations of the world. These books record the laws of God. The best known parts are the Ten Commandments. And I tell people, you know, you ought not gripe that the Ten Commandments are not in the schools if they're not on your refrigerator. I'm going to say that again. You ought not gripe the Ten Commandments are not in the schools anymore if they're not on your refrigerator. Because the Ten Commandments are taught in the home. Amen? And boy, if they would get back in the schools, I think some of this crazy, insane bloodshed would stop. I really do. The books of the law give us the greatest of all commandments. And the second greatest commandment. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Let's say it together. With all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second greatest. And love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the prophets are summed up in those two commandments. That's in the book of the law. Now then there's the books of history. Now these are 12 books of history in the Old Testament. The names of the books of history are, we need to say them together. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Now, don't locate those books. We're going to go right by that. I can't. Can you flip that, Judy? Thank you. <laughs> no, one more. Naturally, they do not tell everything that happened, but they record the major events and show the results of both following and ignoring God's law. Now, let's look at the books of poetry. There are five books of poetry. And the names of the books of poetry, let's say them together, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Now, I love those. These books are the worship books of God's people, Israel. They're still used in worship with believers today. We sing the Psalms. Other churches sing the Psalms. You turn to Psalms 23 and read it. What beautiful poetry is probably the best known poem in the entire world is Psalms 23. This is an example of the beautiful worship poetry contained in these books. Okay. Go back one, please, Judy. <laughs> I, pro- I apologize about the clicker. Something happened up there and we're using one that we don't usually use. All right, the books of prophecy. The books of prophecy are the Old Testament, and they're divided into two groups called major and minor prophetical books. This does not mean the major prophets are more important than the minor prophets. I used to think, man, they're running Hosea down calling him minor, but they're not, okay? it's not what it means. The title is simply used because the major prophets are longer books than the minor prophets. That's all there is to it. There are 17 books of prophecy in the Old Testament, and the names of books of prophecy are, say them together, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, there's the major, the minor, Hosea, Nahum, Joel, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on where you're from. That's a joke. I've heard radio preachers say, Habakkuk, I can't do it. To me, it's Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Now I'm lost. It's a great book. Amos, Zephaniah, Obadiah, Haggai, Jonah, Zechariah, Micah, and Malachi. Now these books are prophetic messages from God to his people about future events. Many of the prophecies have already been fulfilled, but some remain to be fulfilled in the future. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of the greatest proofs of Christianity is the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, you remember when Jesus is walking around with His disciples and they stopped at Herod's temple. Herod's temple was considered one of the wonders of the world. It was an amazing, striking, fabulous structure. And the disciples pointed to it and said to Jesus, Is this something or what? Now, I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus said, let me tell you something. The day is going to come when it's all going to be torn down and not one stone is going to be left on another. I can't tell you how that stunned them because this thing had been decades, I mean, years and years and years in the building. And so to say that it's all going to come down and not one stone is going to be left on another was almost like me saying, the day is soon gonna come when there's gonna be no more Dallas skyline. It's all gonna be gone. And there won't be one brick left on another. You would say, what? Jesus said that when he was about 33 years old. In 37 years it happened. 70 AD. The Romans surrounded Jerusalem. Inside were all the Jewish people. There was a terrible, terrible war between the Romans and the Jews at this point. And the Romans had cut off all food from them. They were dying on the inside. I read recently in Josephus, the Jewish historian, that that they had dumped 600,000 people, dead bodies, out of the gates of Jerusalem before the end even came who had died of starvation. Jesus had told them, they looked at Jesus when He said, it's all coming down. They looked at Jesus and said, when will these things be? And Jesus began to give some prophecy that immediate application. He said, when you see an army surrounding Jerusalem, know that the end is near. And Flee to the hills of Judea. Pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath so that you don't feel like there's a religious issue with you running and exerting labor. Pray that you're not pregnant because when you need to run, you're going to have to run. He said, go to the mountains of Judea. Don't even go down into your house to get the things out of your house. If you're in the field, don't try to go back home. Just run when you see the city surrounded. When the Romans surrounded Jerusalem there was a pause in their seizure of it. Something happened back in Rome and the commander was called back. And when the commander was called back, there was a lull in their taking of the city and the Jewish Christians on the inside remembered what Jesus had said and when there was this lull, they fled. History tells us when Jerusalem finally fell, Not one Christian was killed because they were all gone. God delivered them before the judgment, but then it all took place, and the temple was burned to the ground. And the reason one stone was not left upon another was because there was gold between those stones, and the soldiers threw every stone down to get all the gold out of it they could. So it was greed that caused every stone to be brought down. But just like Jesus had said, it happened. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you to myself like a chick gathers, or like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he wept. He saw what was coming. 37 years later, 37. Now, if he was right about that, so precisely right, then he's right about everything else in Matthew 24. Everything else. Prophecy is one of the great validators of the authenticity of the Bible as the Word of God. And there are many prophecies. Hey, I'm I'm waiting for them to be fulfilled. I'm going to see them fulfilled. Can I give you one before we move on cuz we're on board. Let me let me just give you one real quickly. Go home and read Ezekiel 38 and 39, but particularly 38. There you will read that one day soon, this has never been fulfilled in all of history, but it's a prophecy. And it says that there is going to be a land to the uttermost north of Jerusalem, and that is Russia. There ain't anything else to the uttermost north but Russia. It's going to gather around itself many different allies. Syria, Iran, Iraq, Egypt. He lists and he names several nations, several countries that are right there on our map today, and every one of that, that are that Ezekiel names are rabidly anti-Israel and pro-Islamic right now. And that Russia will lead this Confederacy of Nations down against Israel in a mighty, awesome, I'm gonna call it a final jihad. And it's going to look like that little tiny nation of Israel is cooked, done, over with. Because they'll come from every direction. It says a great company on horses, a great company with weapons, a great company with one mind and one heart to wipe out the nation of Israel. And what do we always hear coming from Iran? We're going to absolutely wipe Israel off the map. The very thing that Ezekiel said they would try to do is coming out of the mouth of these Islamic nations right now, today, tonight. And the Word of God fingered them, pointed to them, named them. I I, I really wouldn't be surprised if I woke up in the morning and saw on the news that Russia and a great confederacy of many different Islamic nations that come against Israel, it says to take their riches, to take their treasures and their riches, no question about it, they're gonna go Uh, against Israel for their oil and for the mineral deposits at the bottom of the Dead Sea. And they'll do it. That's yet to be fulfilled. That's that's waiting. Now, if the Bible was so completely accurate about everything else, believe me, all the actors on the stage of this upcoming drama are in place. They're all in place. And little Israel, the Bible says... Right when it looks like they're just about wiped out, God in heaven pours out his fury. Pours out his fury. Seriously, they are completely, there's only one way to describe what Ezekiel, or to explain what Ezekiel describes. It has to be thermonuclear. But it says, they will, it says, Their eyes will be burned out of their head while they stand on their feet, and their tongue out of their mouth while they stand on their feet. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's gross. I'm just quoting the Bible to you. Like I said, the Bible has everything in it. But that's coming. That's coming, folks. We're in the last days. We are in the last days, okay? Now we come to the New Testament. It's been also divided into four groups, Gospels, History, Letters, and Prophecy. Now, there are four books in the Gospels. We know what they are, but let's say them together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these books tell about the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're just, they're just really telling us what all the Old Testament anticipated. Their purpose is to lead you to believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God. John wrote... And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Now, the book of history is only one, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a history book, history of the early church. This book tells how the church began and fulfilled Christ's commission to spread the gospel throughout the world, the book of Acts. And I say it ends in Acts 28, but I believe God's still writing Acts 29. I'm going to have to say that again, I guess. It ends in Acts 28, but I believe there's an Acts 29. Because all the book of Acts is, is the, the the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And the work of the Holy church, uh, Spirit hadn't ended. So there is an Acts 29. Are y'all with me? There's an Acts 29, okay? So that means he still does miracles. People are still being saved. The Holy Ghost is still moving. So that's the history book. Then there's letters. There's 21 letters in the New Testament. Love letters to you and to me. The names of these letters are, let's say them together, Romans, Titus, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Philemon, Galatians, Hebrews. Go ahead, Judy. Ephesians, James, Philippians, 1 and 2 Peter, Colossians, 1, 2, and 3 John, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Jude, and 1 and 2 Timothy. Now, the letters are addressed to all believers, and their purpose is to guide them in living and help them do what Jesus commanded. The letters are also called epistles, which means letters, okay? And they're written by the Holy Spirit through men. That's why when I pick up that book. I'm always excited. It's not to me dull or boring or a duty. I, when I get out on the patio with my coffee, every time I sit down and I'm excited. What is it going to say to me today? Because when I open those pages, it's the God-breathed Word. And He's got something to say to me. Amen? I mean, I've even gone through some of the genealogies and been spoken to. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and I'm sitting there, this is so boring, and all of a sudden, poop, something hits me right between the eyes. Even the genealogies are anointed. Okay? Then there's prophecy. There's one prophecy book, and we know what it is, don't we? Book of Revelation. The only book of prophecy in the New Testament that tells of the final victory of Jesus and His people. Its purpose is to encourage you to keep living as a Christian should live until the end of time or the end of your life. Its message is summarized in Revelation's two ten. Let's look at it. Don't fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Has it occurred to you that you may suffer for your faith? Has it? Even in America, has it? Did you know that persecution is rising in America? and people are being martyred across the world on a level that you can't believe. Martyred. So this is very relevant. He says, I don't want you to fear anything you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Now, just so you'll know, there were ten horrible Roman emperors who persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, ending, I believe, with Diocletian. And the ten days, I believe, is a reference to the ten seasons that these emperors would have the church under persecution. And it was awful. Those were the days when the martyrs were the seedbed of the church. Be faithful unto death, and what will he do? I will give you the crown of life. Amen. Go ahead, Judy. Now, we're going to stop like right there. Now, let me just ask you something. How many of you have wondered if the Bible really is the Word of God? Have you ever wondered that? Sure. I mean, I did. I got saved uh, when I was 16, gave my heart to the Lord. Well, I got filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, anointed with the Spirit, whatever you want to call it. It happened to me when I was 18. We won't worry about semantics, right? And I started witnessing everything that moved when I told my family about Jesus. My dad was an intellectual, and he hit me with all kinds of arguments. And and the reason I had that epiphany at midnight, that one night where I just suddenly knew it was the Word of God, was because I had been getting hit with so much stuff, causing me to doubt it. It was like God visited me and said, I want you to know, Jeff, when you stand to preach, this is not just men's ideas. It's the Word of God. breathed out. Okay? So I hope, as we go through this, and we have a better clicker next time, that we're going to learn... Uh, what the Old Testament's all about. We're going to put it together for you. This was just a brief overview. Let's stand together tonight, can we? Amen. Let's let's just come to the Lord and thank Him for His Word. Lord, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You, Lord, for Your presence here tonight. And Lord, we know that from Genesis to Revelation, we hold in our hands the God-breathed, unified word of god Lord we thank you that it doesn't contradict that it's not a bunch of various differing ideas but that it's one theme is Jesus Christ Thank you Lord the old testament looked forward to him the gospels introduce him And the letters look back on him and explain him, and Revelation predicts his soon return. Thank you, Jesus, for such an incredible book. Let's go ahead and just worship for a moment.